Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Thank you for joining us. We are here tonight with Rabbi David Kasher, eye for an eye for an eye. That's not a mistake. <laughs> At first I thought it was a mistake. Um, the Poetics of Jewish Law. Very much looking forward to this with all of you. And um, I know Rabbi Kasher very well, but I'm going to read a formal bio anyways, because it's always nice to see some connections you may have with him from some of his past. Rabbi David Kasher serves as the director of Hadar West Coast. He grew up bouncing back and forth between Berkeley and Brooklyn, hippies and Hasidim, and has been trying to synthesize these two worlds ever since. Very true. After graduating from Wesleyan University in 1998, he studied for several years in yeshivot in Israel before heading off to rabbinical school at Yeshivat Chovavei Torah. He was ordained there in 2007 and returned to Northern California, where he became the senior Jewish educator at Berkeley Hillel. He was part of the founding team at Kava, a nonprofit specializing in adult Jewish education. He served on the faculty of Berkeley Law, the Wexner Heritage Program, Reboot, and the Bina Secular Yeshiva, and also taught courses at Pardes, Svara, Hartman Institute, AJR, and HUC. Rabbi Kasher is a teacher of nearly all forms of classical Jewish literature, but his greatest passion is Torah commentary, and he spent five years producing the weekly Parsha Nut blog and podcast exploring the riches of the genre. In 2018, he began work as an associate rabbi at Ikar, a non-denominational spiritual community in LA, where he teaches a weekly Parsha class and has a new Parsha podcast called Best Book Ever. He published an essay, Eating Our Way from Justice to Holiness, in Kashrut and Jewish Food Ethics, Pub <laughs> published in 2019 by someone, completed a translation of Avot Rabbi Natan for Sfaria, and is the author of Parsha Nut, 54 Journeys into the World of Torah Commentary. Um, we do have the book available up front, if you hopefully noticed that, if you don't have it already. Um, and you can also join his weekly class. I know Stan attends on Thursdays. And um, and his weekly Parsha podcast, you can tap into very easily. What's it called again? Uh, well, it's the best book ever is the podcast. The best book ever, right. Um, but if you, uh, there's a QR code on the back of your pages or a website on the front, and you can oh, yeah. find our, my weekly bar tour there. Beautiful. Um, so eye for an eye for an eye, the poetics of Jewish law. If you don't have a handout, please raise your hand. We'll get you one. Otherwise, we're looking good. Please join me in welcoming Rabbi David Kasher. I'm here uh, on, on in, in the merit of being very good friends with Rabbi Shmuley. And, uh, and we've been in a kind of Torah dialogue now for two decades. So uh, nice to be able to, to, to learn with, with you, Rabbi Shmuley, and, and nice to be able to learn with you all. Um, I started my journey in Jewish learning, as I think a lot of folks who go off to yeshiva do. And that is to say, I started it with law. I, I I studied the law. That was the that was the primary focus of my studies for a long time, for all kinds of reasons. One is that I wanted to know what to do, how to do this Judaism thing. Like I it, I was in my early twenties when I got really fired up, and so you know I was making up for lost time, and I just wanted the 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 instructions. And I studied law um, because I wanted to know what to do. But I also studied law as a matter of tr of tradition. 
That is to say, we study in yeshiva, we study the Talmud, and the Talmud is made up of, they they say, around two-thirds legal material. It's mostly a legal conversation. And so you're studying the Talmud, and so you study law. Um, in fact, the tradition uh, goes as far as to say that you should publish your first book in a matter of law before you're, you know, so presumptuous as to start giving your interpretations of the stories of the Torah. In other words, like, you know, you know, get your 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 belly full with the meat and potatoes of of Jewish life. And then you can talk about like the the fun stories of the of the Bible. In fact, um, you know, you don't read a whole lot of Bible in Yeshiva, which is a kind of a funny thing. You don't actually end up reading the Torah that much. You study the Talmud all the time. So there's this way in which the law is really um, privileged. It's sort of taken the place of, of pride in, in Jewish intellectual life. Um, but I, I, uh, I was, I was fine with that for, um, for a while. And as you heard, I also eventually went off to law school. I did that after my yeshiva studies. And I, that was also an exciting form of study to me, the sort of comparative lens looking at, um, at Jewish law once again, now through the through the the framing of a secular legal system. I spent a lot of time with the law, but eventually I those those stories are so good <laughs> that I got kind of swept away and the focus of my my studies and my teaching and my whole life really has become the the a study in in literature, I would say. The literature of the Torah, the literature of the Hebrew Bible, the literature of of the Talmud and Midrash as well, uh, the 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 stories, the uh, and now I'll use a, a a term of art, the agada in our tradition, and our tradition is sometimes divided in this way. We speak of um, halacha and agada, the law, and then the narrative. And agada uh, is like hagada, like the stories that we tell, like on Passover when we tell a story. Um, so, you know, I, there came a point where I began to focus more and more on the stories of the Torah and really to fall in love with the literature of our tradition. I was just talking to Rav Shmuley today and saying that, you know, when we were in yeshiva, you know, there was all these, all these like theological debates of what you had to believe and the was the Torah from God and what did it happen then and who delivered the Torah to us and you know, and if you didn't believe that, then you're on the historical, critical, academic side of the. But I, 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 I was saying to Shmulia, you know, back then those debates seemed so important to me. But after years of studying the Torah, it's like it no longer matters to me. It so clearly uh, sparkles with divinity. This, this literature, this book that we have is just so good. It's just such good storytelling that, um. That that's 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 sort of become that's become a, a, enough of a of a kind of testament to its divinity for me, which is all to say that I moved from the study of law to the study of literature, and um and then eventually started to think about what it might be like to turn back and look at the law now through the lens of 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 literature through the lens of. Uh, a, 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 a reader of stories, the eye through the eye of a reader of stories. And to think about the law, not as an entirely separate genre, like stories are fun and for entertainment. And maybe there's like some kind of moral that you take away from the story. And law is about what you do. And the first one's fun to read and the second one's not. And the 
and the first one's sort of irrelevant to your life, and the second one um, is relevant to your life. It's a very sharp binary that we can we could make. Um, but it turns out that the law is in the is in the Torah, and therefore it is um, aware of itself as part of as 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 fitting into a literary tradition. And the more that that you study the law through that lens, the more you begin to see that there is a kind of literary style that the law of the Torah has as well. What I would call, what I'm calling tonight, the kind of the, the poetics of the law, so that we could we could study the law through um, the tools of literary analysis, uh, the same tools we might use to. To, to read a poem and to think about like the precise words chosen in the poem and repetition and stylistic choices that the law makes. Um, and we're gonna do that tonight. And it's a good week to do it because uh, as I also said in that room over there, this is the week when we, in the cycle of reading the Torah, we take a big pivot and start thinking about law, law, law all the time. There has been law before this. Last week was the Ten Commandments after all, but this week is the legal code. They sometimes call it the covenant code because it comes right on the heels of the standing on Mount Sinai and forging a covenant. And now you get, and it's so exciting and you've encountered God and it's glorious. And they're, they, they're, and then all of a sudden it's like, they wake up the next morning and it's like, okay, here are 50 laws for you to start following. And it's case after case after case after case. And actually it's because, there's a word for this and I'm never sure if I pronounce it right, but it's casuistic, casuistic. It's case law, mostly. Like what happens if your ox runs into my cow? Who's responsible? And the, the laws are not just um, um, thou shalt not kill, but in a situation where you are in a, in a conflict with someone else, you should make sure not to kill them, <laughs> you know, or something like there's a case that's being laid out. And because the case is laid out, there are these little stories kind of embedded in the law. There are these little scenarios embedded with the, in the law. And, um, and so there, there's an opportunity there to, to start looking at the stories in the law. But we're going to go, I, I, tonight, even um, our magnifying glass is going to go even closer because the laws that we're going to look at tonight don't even have necessarily a story um, baked into them. We're gonna look tonight at one of the most famous laws in the Torah, one of the most famous lines in the Torah, and you saw it at the, at the, at the, at the, the top of the hour, and that is an, an, the, the law of an eye for an eye, okay? Ein tachat ein in Hebrew, an eye for an eye. Now, we're gonna take a look at this and try to not just understand what it's saying, but to have a feel for the poetry of this law. And when I say the poetry of an eye for an eye, that may sound a little funny, except that the phrase itself is a little poetic in that it, there's a kind of, there's already a kind of repetition, a kind of rhythmic, and you may know that it isn't just an eye for an eye, but it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a leg for a leg. We'll soon see this. So there is a kind of like rhythm to it. Already we can start to feel that the law is being delivered with some sense of, of style or syncopation. Okay, that's just that's that's that much is obvious. But what I want to do tonight is really start to take a look at the law as it appears in the Torah and start to read very, very closely, not just that one line, but the whole context that the law appears in. And as it turns out, um, we have a lot of work to do because the that law, an eye for an eye, appears not in one, not in two, but in three contexts in the Torah. And we're gonna take a look at them all. So that's the eye for an eye for an eye. There are there are three. 
Um, but okay, but let let's we'll, we'll, let's begin. But before we um, look at the actual text, I want to just ask you: What do you think before we start analyzing of the law? An eye for an eye. What are your associations with that law? Good law, bad law? Does that gives you good positive feelings or uh, or otherwise? I don't want to tip the I don't want to tip the the deck too too heavily here. I, I always thought that it was a way to contain um, retribution or violence that, um, you know, it, uh, I accidentally killed your oxen. You can't wage war and kill my whole family. I always thought it was a leveling um, um, law. Good. This is really important with Gin, Ginny, right? Yeah. What Ginny's saying, which is that a, a, an eye for an eye can be thought of as a, granting you power to do just that much to another person, as much as was done to you, you can do to another person. But the way Ginny's putting it is that, that the law may also be setting a limit. You can do no more than what was done to you. Same law, but a, a different emphasis in there. And, and, and that would be to curtail a kind of you know, an, an, an un, a disproportionate response. Okay. I assume you're asking that question rhetorically, meaning you're saying, I don't like the law because I don't think it's it does any good. It's not the definition of justice. What is it a definition of? What Anne was just saying is that this law of an eye for an eye, it doesn't, it doesn't do anybody any good. Well, how does it make your life any better that you're able now to harm this other person? And Anne asked the question rhetorically as if to say, I don't see the, the utility, the value, the merit of this law. All it does is cause more pain. That's not justice, Anne says, that's vengeance. And indeed, the, the, I, the, the notion of vengeance is right at the heart of this law. In fact, uh, this is law is so famous, there's a nice fancy Latin word for it, lex talionis, right? Which tal talion is like retaliating. So Lex, the law of retaliating. So that's what this is about, is you're being able to strike back, to retaliate, to seek vengeance. Now, what's so bad about that? Anne doesn't like that. Well, what's wrong with vengeance? Rationally. Uh, okay, good. Oh, so so maybe this law is meant to, to, to communicate some kind of set of, some, some system of value, of evaluation for us, a, a, an awakening, a sort of, a, a, a clarification of what's at stake, but I, I think I hear you saying, Rev Shmuley, but not to be carried out exactly as it is, as it as it seems, because as it seems, what? How does it work? As it seems, an eye for an eye, and there are societies who practiced it. An eye for an eye means if you gouge my eye out, then I'm coming with my spoon and I'm coming for you for one of yours. That's the way it works, and I have a right to. Now, I just want to, uh, we're going to look at this inside in just a second, but Anne's, Anne's point is important. And I want to, I, I, I obviously agree a little bit with Anne. I, I know what Anne is saying, but there's a part of me that wants to, wants to push back and say, what's wrong with a little vengeance? Is that, a, what, what's wrong with vengeance? Can, maybe there is something wrong, but can we articulate it? Anne seems to say it doesn't do any good. Why not? It makes me feel good. I, I'm outraged and I want to strike back. So it is possible to look at an eye for an eye as, uh, uh, not not just a vengeance of uh, um, a, a vengeance code, but a, a way of deterring future um, eye gougers. You see what happens. Yeah, if I can poke out your eye and get, write you a check, and I can poke out your eye and write you a check, as long as I've got money, I can keep poking out eyes. But if 
That's good. If you're going to come back to me that literally, I might think again. Okay. I want you to remember that formulation because that's really interesting. The way that the rich man could abuse this law, because that sort of thinking is precisely the sort of thinking that our rabbis are going to bring to this case in sort of the other direction. What role does financial compensation have to play um, and, and as opposed to physical retaliation. We'll get right there, but I think what you're suggesting is maybe the law is setting up a, a sort of a scale of equivalencies that will be good for, Rev Shmuley suggested it would be good for me to know what's at stake. Steve is suggesting that it would be, it would be it's good for the judges to know how to think about what has been lost, what is the value of, so we're setting sort of equivalencies in terms of this will help the judges, and as Steve puts it, um, rule how much is is owed in this case. And again, we're already we're starting to we're starting to talk about money, and and almost we've almost arrived at the first major rabbinic response to this case. Okay, good. That that's right. It seems like the law, as I said, there's not really a case involved. It's an eye for an eye. That is the law. It's like a formula rather than a, if this should happen, then it's like. Yeah, it's just a way of saying anything that you lose, you get to take back from someone else or not take back because, you know, you get to do to someone else. Okay, good. We're soon going to provide a little context here. That's precisely what we're going to do. But you're right. In, in isolation, we're just talking about some principle of retaliation, some principle of tit for tat. Um, Rabbi Emily says that uh, that um, the, the problem with vengeance is that it doesn't restore anything. It doesn't heal anything. You're still left with the same. And I think that um, the rabbi means this in a kind of a, a big way, like the idea of vengeance and retaliation as a guiding principle is only going to cause more destruction and not actually solve the social conflicts that you might be embroiled in. But in this case, it's it, in this case, it's it, 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 the point is, is, is made is made obvious, which is that I'm not going to get my eye back. It doesn't matter how many eyes I gouge out, I'm not going to get my eye back. So that, if we think of it as, well, how will I get my due? Well, I'm definitely not going to be compensated with sight. So something has not been healed or rectified. Will it, will it really be enough for me just to feel like you suffered as well? And that is, after all, at at base, that that's that's the the sentiment that under, underlies vengeance. I feel this way. You should feel that way also, so that there is an equivalency. So at least we're even in suffering. Good, good, good. So Rav Shmuley's searching for at least some conceptual justification for the for the principle of vengeance, and and suggests that maybe maybe the justification is that it allows for a kind of venting of trauma and rage that otherwise would stay bottled up and and continue to create antagonism generation after generation maybe it is important for there to be a kind of an a, 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 um a, every action has an opposite reaction and you trying to justify but we do we have to do that work and and the the fact that like it's all couched within a caveat it's it's interesting because clearly vengeance was was an acceptable virtue value um, in in ancient society. There, it has a vengeance has a role that if we're switching, if we're shifting away from from um from a, a, a an affection for a admiration for vengeance, then there's got to be some reason why 
um, we have left that. And maybe it's because we came to learn as a human society that it doesn't heal wounds. Maybe we've kind of, we've, we've, we've seen the, the folly of vengeance, but you know, vengeance isn't so far in the distant past where people are still taking vengeance. So is it a low level human emotion or is there potentially some value or, or virtue to it? This law seems to suggest that there is. Okay, let's take a look at the law itself. And we're going to look eventually at three instances of law. But this is the first one. This is the one that we get in this week's Torah reading, Parshat Mishpatim. This is, in a certain sense, the classic. Okay, so let's read it so that we um, we have the language in front of us. And remember, we're, we're going to be reading with a, a literary eye. So the language will be um, important here. Okay. You can just hear like the listing there, like they're still trying to think, what else can I put on this? A burn, right? All right, so listen to it in Hebrew, because especially at the end, you can really hear the poetics of it. Ein tachat ein, that's the eye for an eye, ein tachat ein, shen tachat shen, yad tachat yad, regel tachat regel, kvia tachat kvia, petza tachat petza, chabura tachat chabura. Okay. All right. That's the list. That's the first big eye for an eye list. And it isn't just an eye for an eye, right? There's tooth for a tooth. Um, when I was just reading up on this. And apparently Donald Trump said last year that his favorite verse in the Bible was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's what he said. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So there's the tooth as well. Um, and um, and uh, that, was his, that was his favorite. Um, uh, this is an interesting case. The, the first part of this case is an interesting case um, in and of itself, because it contains the sort of first, um, first, kernels of of what will develop into abortion law in Jewish tradition not this is not an abortion but it, it's relevant to abortion law which is not our subject tonight and 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 it is relevant because in this case the fetus is treated as property rather than a life that becomes like a, a relevant consideration but in in for our purposes it's it's not so relevant because the whatever will happen to the fetus happens to the fetus. She miscarries. Um, um, but if she's okay, right? The guy smashes in. Two men are fighting. That's the way it starts. And uh, it's this is quite. This is talk about case law. They're fighting, and then they careen into the um, to this to to one of their wives who is pregnant and hit her so hard that she loses the 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 baby, the fetus. Okay, now. Something's got to be done to account for that lost fetus. Um, but if she's okay, that's all you're thinking about is the, the compensation for the, for the fetus. But if she is not okay, if she gets injured, well, then what's the law? A life for a life. And that's where we start. Nefesh tachat nefesh. If she dies, you die. Now that is not like, I want to take that and just hold it in, it, in its own category. A life for a life. Because I, I suspect that there may be some people here who feel like an eye for an eye is barbaric, but a life for a life, maybe that does make some sense. Or is that barbaric too? We could answer in different ways, but I think it's it's worth separating that out. We, after all, still have a notion of capital punishment in this country. We aren't taking people's limbs or eyes off. So we've made some some sort of separation. Okay. Um, but this is the um, 
this is the the list and um and we talked about it a little bit why why is it there what's the what's the principle if you lose the fetus you have to pay money what happens if you hurt a person you get to hurt them back the contrast is interesting well that there because you can't there's no way if two men are fighting there's no other fetus to get paid aha aha oh that's interesting it's almost like the context suggests like well there are some cases you simply can't go collecting the same thing where you your wife's not pregnant but there are some cases where it's clear what's to be done. You chopped off my arm, I'm gonna chop off your arm. Yeah, okay, so let's think about that. If the baby is lost or the fetus is lost, you you, you have to pay a, a, a fine, a fee, the value of, of, that, of that fetus. But if it's a person you actually do harm to their, or if it's a fully grown person, you do harm to their body. So we have a contrast. Like we, we, from the start, we see there are different ways to solve problems. Why didn't they just go the same the same way with the with the woman? Let's just pay for her damages. There's a, there's some kind of separation being made between the problem of the fetus and the problem of a, of a person. What Mar the point that Mark is making that th this is we're talking about, and you can see it here, like family units, and. We're speaking in like a, a a time of patriarchy where there's like a head of a family unit who is responsible for all of the damage that might happen to his family, right? So you can hear it in here. If if the if the woman is loses a tooth, well then you know the guy has. It seems it sounds like her husband has a right to go smash the guy's tooth in. Like as if it's not just what's been done to me will be done to you, but what's been done to my people, I can do to you. And that's important to think about because then we get into questions of like of honor killing and revenge killing and my tribe having suffered a, 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 an injury or a, or a death and me going out, not just because I've lost an eye, but because my people, my family, my team has lo have lost an eye. We're, we're like tapping a little bit into that mentality of you go out and you avenge the family, not just yourself, but the family. So that's important. And, and, as we talk about this patriarchal society, let's just like take note of the fact of where this starts. A woman is is injured, her fetus is lost, but it all started with two men fighting, okay? These two patriarchs fighting, but damage ensues. And now the, the one patriarch is gonna come to the other patriarch and say, hey, wait, you went too far, even though we were fighting, Right, but this, but th but this damage I can collect for you. So that that system of 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 sort of family networks is important for thinking about what we're looking at. That's right, that's right. And this is oh, I don't know, you know the terms better than I do, but this is not a homicide, right? Like this is some kind of uh, when you say collateral damage, it wasn't intended. Like some kind of manslaughter here. So the idea that you might lose your life. You lose a tooth, you lose a hand, you lose a foot, you might even lose your life for accidentally killing someone. The stakes are very high here. That's right. And I actually, there I, I think that's a, that's a great point that there is a, another system of, fl of fleeing in order to escape punishment if you've accidentally killed someone. Like how that would work for accidentally poking someone's eye out. I'm not like... You know, I'm not like it doesn't cover those cases, but it is interesting to think about what I don't, I can't think about what the, if someone else knows maybe, but the distinction between a case you could flee from and one in which you would have to pay with your life, but uh, maybe it has to, something to do with intention.
Okay. All right. We have now the law in front of us. Uh, we have an eye for an eye. And let's say what else we got. We got a life, a, an eye, a tooth, um, a, a hand, a foot, a burn, uh, a, a wound, and a bruise. All of those things can... And, you know, we could wonder, this is our le with our legal lens, not our literary lens, why those things? Is that list exhaustive? Are they categories? We could wonder these things. But um, but what I, as I said, what I want to do tonight is, is, is instead to look for some of the stylistic choices and patterns and repetitions that we see as the story moves or as the law moves across the Torah. Before we do, though... There's one, but we're mostly just going to be in the Torah tonight, just the text of the Torah and looking at its at its literary merits. But um, there is one thing that we have to see before we get there. And actually, Ginny just saw it in her Dafyomi, um, which is the rabbi's response to this law, which is very famous. When I say the rabbis, I mean the guys who brought you the Talmud, the rabbis, capital R, the, the, the people of the rabbinic period who spent their time turning biblical law into halakha, into, into practice. And they had a very famous response to an eye for an eye. Now, I, and I just want to say it's, 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 it's a famous response and it's a striking one because it sort of flies in the face of what has become sort of the reputation of Jewish law, of Old Testament law. Eye for an eye, it's not, we didn't just pick a law at random. This is like the classic, the very embodiment of what the Old Testament is all about to some people. It's all about savage, heavy, severe, vengeful. It's a vengeful God and you're a vengeful people and everybody's savagely taking whatever they can violently from one another. That's like, um, what is it, the bumper sticker? An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. You've seen that bumper sticker? Mm -hmm. oh, like there's that sentiment of like, what, what good is this really doing? This is like, the worst of what our tradition has to offer. And yet our actual tradition, the rabbis who came and to look at, at, that, at the Torah and offer their interpretation, they had a very different reading of an eye for an eye. Anybody know what their reading was? We'll soon see it inside. Ginny knows, but anyone else know? Justice, justice. I wish it was justice, justice. It's money, money. <laughs> That's right. No, it's money. The answer is money. The answer is well. You'll let's take a look. Okay, um, I'm going to have Ginny read it for us, and then I'll I'll read it in the in the Aramaic. Rabbi Shimon ben Z ben Yochai says, "An eye for an eye refers to paying money for damages." But you say maybe it means money, but maybe it actually means putting out an eye. What then would we do when a blind person puts out someone's eye, or when a handless person? cuts off someone's hand, or when an amputee broke someone's leg, how would I apply an eye for an eye in such a case? Remember that the Torah says in Leviticus 24, you shall have one law for everyone, meaning that the law must be able to apply equally to everyone. Okay, okay, all right. Didn't you get that? But then what if the, the person has no money? So then he's not applying equally to anyone everywhere. Well, okay, let's like first, let's let's formulate. What's the law here? I said I would read it, so I will. I won't read them all, but I said it. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai Omer, Ein tachat ein, mamon Omer. Mamon? Oh, einu ela, ein mamash. Hare, shahaya suma v'sime, kitea v'kite, chiger v'chiger v'chiger. Heichani mekayem v'ze, ein tachat ein. 
והתורה אמרה, משפט אחד יהיה לכם, משפט השווה לכולכם. אוקיי. So what's the, so you can't do an eye for an eye literally. And it's, you, I, I want, if nothing else, us to hear that the, our rabbis of, you know, the, the, you know, third and fourth century are basically having the same kind of like uncomfortable conversation where like, what are you, really? You don't mean really gouge the eye out. It's just to hear their incredulity is in, in itself an important piece of Torah. But what's their, instead you pay. That's the answer. Instead you pay the amount how you get to the amount is another question for us but what's the logic what's why do you pay instead of instead of gouging no no that's not the reason i agree that it is more humane but that's not the reason they give that would have been a good reason come on you're not really gonna go guides gouge someone's out what are you a monster a barbarian that's not the reason they give that's right no that's right wait wait you want to challenge that no no i just that's Yeah, yeah. money is a common denominator. Yeah. Everyone can pay. That's half of the equation. Everyone will be, if we make it a monetary fine, I don't, fine is not the right word. What's the right word? Penalty, Penalty correct. Um, then it'll be something that e everyone can do. And that's, first of all, even as I say that, I'm, I'm wondering, is that something? Like our, our legal system is often like uh, much easier to navigate if you have a lot of money. So... Like, and and could does everybody have money to pay for an eye? So this is like, this is an interesting argument that we could problematize in that way, but we're still missing half of the argument. Anyone can pay, but not everyone can. It's what you said earlier. It's exactly what you said earlier, right? Which is that if you're blind and you go gouging someone's eye out, well, then they're not going to be able to take vengeance on you, right? If you're, you're, you know, if you're an amputee and you cut off someone else's leg, well, too bad for them. I mean, maybe unless it was the right and the left, you know, I mean, it's like too bad because you just happen to be someone who's immune from the penalty of the law just by circumstance. And the rabbis say that's unfathomable. That's unthinkable. It's not just unthinkable. It's a contradiction with another principle we have. So that it's not just that they're saying like, come on, be reasonable. They're saying the Torah has to make sense and it won't make sense this way because we have another principle in the Torah. What's the other principle that we have to uphold? One law applies to everybody. So this law couldn't apply to blind people. So it can't be literal. There's only one way to make one law apply to but We already problematized this. There's only one way to make a law apply to everyone, which is to use a common unit of transference, currency, money. It has to be money because otherwise it wouldn't work out. Okay, so that's the rabbis are. So for all of the like, oh, the Old Testament and eye for an eye, the rabbis were like, eye for an eye, never heard of it. You just pay the money back. That's what this means. Okay, Now, question. yeah. Before the rabbinic period, when they're writing the Talmud, how did the Jews interpret this? Well, that's a good question. That's a good question. In other words, the rabbis, and again, I'm speaking of a clap, not like, you know, me and Shmuley, but like a class of folks in the in the in the in the uh, in the um in the ancient um late ancient is Israelite society um the rabbis um presented themselves as the uh, the legitimate bearers of the tradition so when they say it doesn't really mean an eye it means money they're they are um claiming that that that's what Moshe said to Um, the elders back in the day, and it's been passed along, and they are, that's what the rabbis, that's sort of what they are, is they they are presenting themselves as the carriers of the oral tradition. 
And the oral tradition is the tradition through which we know how to interpret the Torah. It's not all obvious. And in this case, maybe it seemed obvious, but we've got traditions about how we read these things. The rabbis are sort of presenting themselves as the bearer of, of those traditions. Now, I think that question brings us immediately into, you know, a kind of secondary suspicious question, which is, wait a minute, though. Do I believe, is this really what Moses meant? Is this really what the Torah meant? Could the Torah really have meant an eye for an eye? But what it means is you should financially compensate each other an eye for an eye? buy it? What, what do you think of this argument? What do you think of this argument that it, it couldn't be applied the other way? It has to be that we translate the law into money. Well, that's right. That's interesting. In other words, there are, in modern times, we also translate the penalty, not always in terms of, of, of financial, how much we will pay, but um, in terms of time, how, how much time you will serve in order to pay off. And what do we say? Your debt to society. That's a kind of a vengeance model or at least like a retribu retribution model, you owe something now. And so you've got to pay it off. You, you don't have money, so you'll pay it off with time, with life. Now, again, there, there's now, now we've got a third unit that we could wonder about. Like, is that doing anybody any good to have someone sit in prison? Or maybe it is. Maybe the person needs to be taught a lesson, or maybe this is another way to think about paying off a debt. So now this is an interesting way to think about reading the Torah, which is to say that the Torah presents us with a standard. And I don't know, are we to take it literally? Perhaps it was once taken literally. Perhaps, oh, it's, it's hard to know how to understand it, but the Torah presents us with a principle, a standard. And the principle is, if you harm someone, you must make recompense. Now, what does that mean? Well, maybe in, in your narration, maybe for a while they tried the, the, the actual physical retribution but it just made for a bad society. And they tried other things and they tried other things. And eventually they found an interpretation. They, they developed a, 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 a social convention that, that was some kind of interpretation of the Torah's law, but was a, was a version of it that, that people could live with, right? That's certainly one, one way to think about it. And you could do that with a kind of sociological, historical sensibility. Like this is the way that real law, you know, there's what the Bible says, but then there's real, or you could do it with a theological sensibility and say, God gives us the, the ideal principle, but we play it out differently on this earth. We are left to interpret the ideal principle. In fact, one of the great Italian commentators, the, the Sforno, Avadio Sforno, says approximately that, that really you, you, by rights, you should have your eye taken out. That's what the Torah is here to tell you, is that like, this is what should happen, but, and I think someone else, someone suggested something like this earlier. This is what should happen, but we're going to take care of it through a financial transaction. So just so you know, I think this is actually Shmuley, Rav Shmuley's point, which is just so you know, what you really ought to be paying here is with your life, but we'll let you pay it off, okay? So that would be a sort of a theological version of but either way you look at it, maybe it's a kind of, uh, it's an evolution of how this law plays out. Yeah, that's right. And that I was thinking about that when you were suggesting that you would serve your time, that often people ended up, you know, one of the strangest things about, this is a bit of an aside, but one of the strangest things about biblical law, especially here in Parshat Mishpatim, is that for all of the like liberation of the slaves, the first law regulates the proper, um, the proper terms of a Hebrew slave. Just like so, you're like, what? So you still have slaves? Didn't we do away with that? But it does seem that in the ancient world, 
slavery was not just ubiquitous, but the idea that they had was that it could be made into a humane institution if you if it was more like indentured servitude and less like slave chattel. And so, and the reason that I that I'm saying that is because slavery existed often because people would sell themselves into slavery having no other choice and owing a debt would be one way that someone might end up in in servitude a, a limited servitude but yeah that's that's an aside but it, it relates the answer is that they certainly did take those things into account and i like i'm a little bit stuck here because i, I this is a, a point i feel like i should have ironed out beforehand because this is a little bit of a strange middle case where they are intentionally fighting but the but the damage is not intentional. I'm not sure wh whether it fits into an intentional or unintentional crime, but it does make a difference. And those cities of refuge that we talked about earlier are are specifically for. It's hard to imagine there were there were this many instances, but specifically for those who accidentally killed someone. And by the way, in those cases, the law is if they don't go to the city of ref refuge, their uh, the the next of kin has a right to kill them in the streets. Right. Which is to say the principle of vengeance, it's out there. But the, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this because this is another way of of thinking about how that principle gets negotiated. You can see even in the Torah, there's this institution to say, well, if someone didn't mean to do it, the principle of vengeance is still out there. But maybe we can come up with an alternative mechanism here. So, yes, the answer is these things are taken into account. I'm not sure exactly how it plays out here. OK, I want to um, move us a little bit forward. Um, because uh, I want to make sure that we, so far we've just set everything up and now I want to do some of that, what I'm calling literary study of the law here. And we're going to go um, one back and two forward, okay? In, in other words, what we're going to do is we're going to look for parallel cases or even, um, because we're not using our, our legal lens, but our literary lens, we're going to look for a parallel language. Where do we see echoes of this language, this very striking language, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. Um, we're going to go, we're going to see one instance where we had like the first traces of that language before, and then we're going to see a couple of instances, as I said, this case of an eye for an eye comes up three times, so we're going to see a couple after. But um, the, what's that? But the um, the I was just told to repeat the questions. Um, the one before the one before this is uh, I must say not my uh, connection, and I, I want to give credit to Rabbi Shai Held, who I work with, who made this connection and very very brilliant connection. But I, I, it's very brilliant. But somebody in this group has already basically suggested. Uh, something similar. So let's see if we can extract the principle here. But but most of all, what I want you to to try to identify is like where's the parallel? Where is the where's the the the, the echo? The kind of um, the the literary kind of um, repetition um, of of phrasing here that we're going to try and 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 make meaning of. So we're going all the way back to Genesis chapter four, like way way back. And we're looking at a, just a snippet of conversation, not a major character, a guy named Lamech. And Lamech was um, one of the descendants of Cain, okay, Cain who killed Abel. That's that's the important fact that you need to know about him. Other than that, you won't need to know much. Um, he will tell you a little bit about his life, and he will not tell you. He will tell his two wives. That's what we know about Lamech. He was a descendant of Cain, and he had two wives. Okay, let's see what Lamech has to say for himself. 
that last line I'll explain a little bit. Cain has a mark on his forehead, and God says, if anyone attacks Cain, they will they will be avenged sevenfold. And so um if Cain sevenfold, then me I'm I take my revenge 70, 70, uh, 77 fold. So, um, okay, the details, what if its backstory is, is a little strange, but let's first of all just say, like, do we see the parallel? Do we see the language parallel? Mm. It's like wounds and bruises, those are not common words and certainly not common in that. And you can see that Lamech is speaking in a kind of poetic style. Oh, Wives of Lamech, give ear to my speech. This hazena, that that's like listen to, like give ear. That's classic poetic language in the in the Torah. Moshe starts his most famous poem, hazinu, right? Give ear. So this is a little bit of poetry, and so he's using one word and then a parallel word and being stylistic himself. But you've seen the two words. They're I, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna show you cases that are even more parallel. But there is I am convinced by the kind of echo here that there's a wound and a bruise here and that we're hearing about wound for wound and bruise for bruise many years later there's some kind of callback now let's think for a moment what Lamech is saying what is Lamech's story that he's telling his wife don't don't mess with me don't mess with me why why what do I do I kill people for what for wounding me and a child for bruising me. I'm Lamech is a, is a real savage, but what's his basic principle? If you do something to me, you're going to get 77 times what you did. You're going to get 77 times. You're going to, you're going to see so much vengeance, not an eye for an eye, 77 eyes for an eye. Right. Okay. If you so much as bruise me, you will die. Okay. Now an eye for an eye comes along and says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a leg for a leg, a bruise for a bruise, a wound for a wound. How are these two cases in dialogue with one another? Back to Ginny's point. point. Exactly right. Exactly right. I, there's a, this, is, this is the Rabbi Held uh, extracted this principle from this connection. And I think Ginny um, intuited it as well, that if the, um, if the callback is to the scene of Lamech saying, for a, for a bruise, I will kill you, then an eye for an eye is here to say, you can't do that. There is a max, vengeance is a principle we recognize, but there is a maximum. And it's an eye for an eye. It's not two times or three times, or it's not certainly not 77 times. It's an equivalency. You cannot take more than what you, what was, what, what was, what you, what you suffered, okay? So these two cases, just as we begin to read the, the, the language of the stories together, these two cases suggest that once upon a time, there was a world in which vengeance, I'm going to kill your whole family is what I'm going to do. You, you mess with one tooth is missing of mine and you're, you're all gone. And the law is actually here to say, now I'm not saying, oh, good. Now we like the law, right? We've already problematized the law, but it, if Ginny's right, if Rabbi Held is right, if this connection is right, then the law is a restrictive rather than a permissive measure. It's setting a limit rather than allowing for. Okay? It's only an eye for an eye. Only an eye for an eye. Only an eye for an eye. Now, I don't know. That move, it, it's if, if that's the move, that feels like a move in the right direction. I don't know if it satisfies us. But you have like the first instances 
first, um, what I mean to say, inkling of of where this law might be coming from. Okay, so let me just repeat for the Zoomers. Um, the, the, David um, raises the, 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 the principle that we are familiar with, that the punishment should fit the crime. And if you use that as an overarching principle, not an eye for an eye, but there should be some, I mean, there's something a little vague even about the phrase, but the punishment should, should fit. It should be the right punishment for the crime. And we all have a sense of, well, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. That We have a sense of disproportionate punishment. So can't we just use that principle? And then we could have money and we could have time served. We have lots of different versions of, we can have an arrangement that we, but there's something that fits the crime. Now we, we the answer, um, is we do have that principle in Jewish law, and it's uh, it's it, not just in Jewish law; it's Shakespearean. The the, the phrase in in Jewish law is midah neged midah, measure for measure, measure for measure, and that is a principle which applies all the time in God's punishments. In the punish like this is a principle that we assume to be operative in a just system of law that one gets measure for measure as one does so one receives. Now that measure for measure does not always mean that you get the exact same thing that happened to you, but that there is a, an equivalency. There is like, in, in as much as you, well, what's an example of it? Uh, okay, um, one example of measure for measure. Uh, in the book of Kings, um, uh, the city of Jerusalem is being sieged or sacked or attacked, besieged, thank you, um, by Ben-Hadad, and thank you. And um, uh, Elisha, the prophet, says, and oh, and the, 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 market, the price in the markets have, have, have gone up and nobody can afford anything in the market because there's very little supplies coming in. And Elisha says, by tomorrow, I guarantee you that the prices in the market are gonna be rock bottom because there'll be a victory tomorrow and all of the food supplies will flood in. And a uh, Roman like official there mocks Alicia and says, what are you, your God's gonna rain down bread from the heavens? And the next day, of course, Alicia's right. And there's a stampede for food in the marketplace. And that, that official, that soldier, that centurion or whatever is trampled in the, in the marketplace. Now that is considered a case of measure for measure it's named the measure for measure, just as you mocked the possibility of God delivering food. So you will be killed in the marketplace where the food is consumed. Now that's not exactly the same thing, but it's measure for measure. So yes, the answer is yes. And we have to wonder why then instead we seem to be talking much more specifically, not measure for measure, but tit for tat. That That's a, in general, a good question because there is um, a person does have to pay back what they've stole, but there's also a penalty on that. There's a there's a, a a penalty for stealing that gets added on to a fifth gets added on to. Right. No, but it is it is so, so. You're right to say that it's that it's monetary there, um, though it's not exactly the amount. There's some penalty for it. Wouldn't be it wouldn't work as a rule if we made stealing um, not legal. That's not what I'm really about. The only consequence to stealing is you just have to pay it back. Then you just like steal until you get caught and then you pay it back. I mean, that that is a, there has to be a little bit of a consequence for stealing. Right. And that's yeah, that's part of how that gets worked out. Now, your question is very um, like to the point, because we're soon going to see that kind of thinking enter into our eye for an eye conversation. The question of like, well, what if it's not a human life? What what then? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't dare 
try to like offer, you know, al regalajas, as they say, on one foot, some like direct application of these laws to thinking about that stuff. But I do think that this kind of thinking makes us, um, makes us better trained to like think through and and to take stock of, you know, of of all kinds of damage in the world. So I think this is this is this is good thinking to be doing at a time like this. But I'm I I'm not I'm not the one to tell you how to how to play it all out. Okay. Um, Le, um, uh, Leviticus. We're going to move quickly away from that question to Leviticus. No, it's an important question, and obviously these these questions of of revenge and proportionality. These are yeah, we have to process this stuff. Absolutely, we should be thinking about this stuff. Um, I'm just I'm just I'm just not I'm not expert enough to be to be weighing in. Um, okay, so let's take a look now at the next case of an eye for an eye, and. Um, I want to, I wanted to show you the case, and you can see down at the bottom, I bolded. Just if you look at the last verse, a fracture for a fracture, uh, an eye for an eye. Eye for an eye is famous because it appears in all three um, situations, but you can see the language is is a little different now. You have a new, a fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Just as he gave injury to a human being, so it shall be given to him. Okay, that seems like, yeah, that's what we've been talking about. That's mm -hmm. fair enough. Okay, let's though, what I want to do now is go back and just read the story that this law comes on the heels of. Because as we start to read, you know, the, the, the law as literature, we want to think about juxtaposition. We want to think about context. Where does this appear? What are... Why we already had this law? Why is it suddenly coming up again? And we're going to try to look for what do we see that's the same and what do we see that's different? And it turns out that this law comes just right on the heels of a very strange case that seems to have nothing to do with an eye for an eye. So um, let's I guess I will read since we're 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 worried about the zoom here. Okay, there came out among the Israelites a man whose mother was Israelite and whose father was Egyptian. And they were fighting in the camp between the son, or maybe there was fighting. I think I translated it. And there was fighting in the camp between the son of an Israelite woman and a certain Israelite man. The son of the Israelite woman pronounced the name, meaning God's name, in blasphemy. Um, in Hebrew, it's ve'kalel, um, and, and cursed it. Pronounced the name and cursed it. And he was brought to Moses. Now his mother's name was Shlomit, daughter of Dibri, of the tribe of Dan. Remember his wife, his mother is, a, is an Israelite. And he was placed in custody until the decision of the Eternal should be made clear to them. And the Eternal spoke to Moses saying, take the blasphemer outside the camp and let all who are within hearing lay their hands upon his head and let the community leadership stone him. There's another one we don't do anymore. And to the Israelite people speak thus, anyone who blasphemes God shall bear the guilt. And one who also pronounces the name of the eternal shall be put to death. The community leadership shall stone that person, stranger or citizen, having thus pronounced the name, shall be put to death. Okay. Now, it's a very harsh and not a law that we apply this way anymore. But on the other hand, one of the Ten Commandments, okay? Like using the, the name of God um, uselessly um, or for bad purpose. Um, if any party kills any human being, that person shall be put to death. One who kills a beast shall pay for it, a life for a life. If any party gives injury to his fellow, 
What he did shall be done to him in return. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, just as he gave injury to a human being, so it shall be given to him. Wow. Okay. There's an eye for an eye again. Why did I, why did I take you through that whole story about the guy who had the Israelite mother? Okay. Let's just like, th this comes out of nowhere. So let's try to figure out where we are in the Torah. What has just happened? And in particular, I want to kind of like, you know, leading question a little bit. What do we see here that's similar to what we saw before? Here's, oh, they were fighting. There's two men fighting again. Okay, that's interesting. And in fact, the, the language of fighting, if you go back to the first page, is v'chi yinatsu anashim, when two men quarrel or fight. And look look now back at the, the language in Leviticus. V'yetze ben isha Israelit, and there came out among the Israelites uh, a man whose mother was Israelite. V'hu ben ish mitzri, his father was Egyptian. B'toch b'nei Israel, and they were in um, Israel. V'yinatsu b'machaneh. And they, they fought in the camp. They quarreled in the camp. That is the exact same word, yinatsu, in, in our case of an eye for an eye back in Exodus. And it's the exact same, and, and, and the same word appears in Leviticus. And those are the only two places in the Torah where that word appears, yinatsu. Now that is the, to, to introduce us a bit to the Torah's literary technique, that is a classic move that the Torah makes, is to connect two scenes with similar language that's not just the similar language of the case itself, because that's just repetition, but another signal word that is meant to tell you, no, there's more than one rep replication here. And so we start to think about these two cases in dialogue with one another, because it isn't just an eye for an eye here and an eye for an eye there, but an eye for an eye in both places on the heels of two men fighting. Okay, now, what's that got to do with it? Why? It's, it's such a strong linking word. It's not a common word. There are other words for fighting, but it appears two times, once before an eye for an eye in Exodus and once before an eye for an eye in Leviticus. And that is like almost like the Torah saying, you know, when we need to talk about an eye for an eye, when two men start fighting. Hmm. specifically in that case, when two men start fighting, we need to start thinking about an eye for an eye. Now, the question is, why? Why do we need to start? What, what does that have to do? Why, why is the context so similar? It's different, obviously, very different. We'll talk about that soon. But why? Any any sense of what that might have have to do or speak to our case of an eye for an eye? There's yeah. going to be trouble. Sorry. There's going to be trouble? Because when two men fight, start fighting, there's trouble. Yeah, I mean, I do want to think a little bit about the gendered element here. Is it different when two male, you know, what we talk about now, toxic masculinity, the two men fighting, is it different than two women fighting? And it's like the certain kind of energy that we start to worry about when two men are fighting. Uh, let me let me see if I understand you correctly, because I, I, I almost want to, I feel like I'm not sure if you're saying it, or if I want to hear it in what you're saying, that there's a, there's a, it's almost like the law is asking us to think about what might happen when two men are fighting, which is allowed. The Torah is not going to say no fighting. That like that's too much. But it is. This is the Torah's way of saying, as, as we all feel when we see a couple people start breaking out in in fisticuffs. Like uh, this is bad. This is not good. Nobody. Nobody's happy. Nobody wants. This is just a bad. And the Torah. This is like the Torah's sort of way of saying. You know what happens when two men start fighting. Right? I think I hear that. Like that link that is that is being made. I don't know if I'm misrepresenting you. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's in there anyway. Yeah. We, yeah, we wondered about that before. And I wonder if this might help us think about the question of different circumstances where maybe the the penalty would be different. You'd be asked to flee, you go to a city of refuge. Like, is, are there certain circumstances in which we might handle it differently? But the, an eye for an eye is is the kind of law that you that you bring out when when you have a brawl, a fight, a sort of like chaotic eruption of violence, not like between states and not like, um, a, you know, a jealous rage killing, but just that sort of like it happens at a bar, it happens in the street and, you know, like it's just chaos. And what and then someone loses an eye, you know, what what are we what are we going to do? And there has to be some way of of. Uh, it, it, it's savage, but okay, these are the terms for this situation. So I think that that's that, that's something to think about. Look, this is this takes us back to the conversation that Matt and I were just having. It's like maybe this is a dis, this is meant as as a, a deterrence, sure. right? As a, dis, a discouraging you to get into a situation where you would have to employ the law of an eye for an eye. Yeah. Okay. So that that context is important. That's just to think about. And again, this isn't a a legal um, amendment. Oh, at any time when two men are fighting, it's as I said, it's it's more of a, a literary association. Like, oh, again, the exact same language to describe fighting, and then we're going to start start talking about an eye for an eye. So we do start doing that. Think, well, maybe we're thinking about certain cases, certain human situations. What is similar? Now, there's a lot that's different about this case. Not to mention, I mean, of all things. I, I, I couldn't help but 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 think of this when I was preparing this class. You know, God isn't an eye for an eye here. <laughs> you know, it's like the guy speaks God's curses God's name. God doesn't curse his name back, right? God says he's going to die. So like, that's there's an irony there. Like, and and I want to take it seriously. I mean, I'm, it's a little funny, but I want to take it seriously. Like somehow, it's not an eye for an eye when it comes to cursing God. There are things you can do that it's like, no, that's it. Like you have crossed the line. It's not just measure for measure and proportionality. And yet um, there are circumstances where it is an eye for an eye. And like, is that is this the human donate? Okay, so that's, that's one point. I don't know what to make of it, but I have to mention it. But I want to get a little bit more into the weeds of the actual language here of an eye for an eye and not, not just an eye for an eye. But where do we start? One who kills a beast. And there's the first, the first, the, the phrase that repeats itself, nefesh tachat nefesh, a life for a life. So good, that sounds like what we heard before, but it can't mean the same thing here, right? And there wasn't even a beast in the story. So like, where did that even come from? Where did that even come from? Where the, you were talking about before, about like, well, what do we think about like animals and what would we do if you injured an animal? Now, what is the penalty if you kill an animal? You die. Right? Nefesh tachat nefesh, life for a life. If you kill an animal, you die. I'm reading it wrong. All right. What, what's the real reading? If you kill an animal, you pay for it. You pay for it. It says that. It says that. You pay a life for a life. Just look at that language again. If any party, or sorry, one who kills now, if anyone part kills a human being, you die. Right? So just look, listen to the contrast here. There's like curse God, you die. Kill a human being, you die kill an animal, you pay for it. Now, this is the first time that we've had this language and it's been insinuated that maybe actually you would get off by paying for it. Not dying, but because what are you, you die for because you killed someone's dog? Maybe, but no, you pay for it. You pay for it. 
Okay, but uh, but that doesn't seem to be the case here because because it, it specifically says you will pay a life for a life. And yeah, it's a good question. Would you give a dog to pay for it? I mean, I suppose you would give a dog and then the person could do, the dog has a monetary value. The person could, could do what they want, but it is not the case. I happen to just, this much Jewish law I do know, it is not the case that your dog dies when you kill someone's dog. Like it does, you, I mean, it's, it sounds a little funny, but that's the, it's the right way to, to, the right question to ask here. Couldn't you just substitute a dead dog for a dead dog? But no, you pay for it. Now this is important because this is really, we heard a little echo before of like wound and maybe the laws addressing that earlier um, regime of, of unlimited vengeance. But here we've, we've brought back that same language of a life for a life, but now, and and it, and it's on the heels of two men fighting, so there's some, something very similar happening. But now there's there's a difference, which is there is a possibility in this world of creating injury and um, making up for it that you might pay for something instead of actually kill, like gouging or killing or 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 cutting off. And then the law continues. If any party gives injury to his fellow, what he did shall be done to him in return. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Just as he gave injury to a human being, so it shall be given to him. Now, that, is that the same law that we saw before? No. Doesn't say pay as an option. Yeah, it doesn't say pay as an option. So maybe what we're seeing is, yeah, when it comes to animals, we're going to play it out a little differently, even though I'm giving you the same language. When it comes to humans, just as you always thought. But it's interesting that we've now just got this insertion of a new idea, that maybe a life for a life could be made up through a payment. That's sort of, and as you said, it doesn't really fit the scenario. None of this fits the scenario, except that we have two men fighting. So we're in that sphere of activity. And then we bring up this law as we brought it up before, but we insert a couple of other details that may get us thinking about different ways to address a life for a life. This is a very, like, the, the, to bring out this kind of case and then just sort of breeze past the details is very irresponsible teaching on my part. It's a very, very difficult, painful, complicated case, um, which deserves a whole class to itself. But just to give a, a snippet of it. So I appreciate you surfacing it because it shouldn't be just unsaid. The... Um, dilemma in this case is that the, um, the 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 membership in the people of Israel is determined by the mother, the membership in a tribe is determined by the father. So this guy doesn't have anywhere to go in the camp. He doesn't actually, by the laws of ancient Israel, he doesn't actually have a tribe, and so he is. I don't know what. Why were they fighting? But that's what the Midrash says. The Midrash says he was like looking around. Where do I, where do I, it's really heartbreaking, you know? And it's just, he has no place. And finally he curses God. And I mean, it, there's a lot to say in this story. The back history that the rabbis write for this case is so painful and so heartbreaking. It is, it gives you a sense that they too were troubled by this, by this situation, but for another time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, we, speaking of another time, we have just enough time for one last case. Now, where, where have we where, we, where have we been? We saw an eye for an eye, thought about it a little bit. We saw the rabbi's response to it, which was to convert it into a monetary payment. Um, then we went backwards for a minute and saw why the law might have come as a check on unlimited vengeance. And now we're seeing the law repeated again in a sort of, I don't wanna say in a similar context, but sort of juxtaposed to a similar context. And 
Um, we've got a couple of contrast cases. Seems like when you do something to God, you can be more than measure for measured. Um, but it seems like when you do something to an animal, there's a different way of paying for it. So the law is like not changing, but sort of we're, we're inserting new points of data, new information. Okay. Then when we get to the final case, we're kind of set up for, again, very similar, similar language, but a kind of different a different reality, a different set of circumstances. So we're gonna read this one more case. Um, now we're in the book of Deuteronomy. And those are like, there's the three big legal books in the Torah. Genesis is almost all story. And with numbers, it's kind of back to story, but an Exodus is half story, but then starts this week with laws, laws, laws. Leviticus is almost all law. And so is Deuteronomy. Okay, so here's, the laws of Deuteronomy, which are often seen as an attempt to kind of go back and rethink and resummarize, um, or maybe, in, but sometimes uh, maybe even correct or rephrase or rethink even what um, the laws were earlier in the Torah. So let's take a look. If someone appears against another as a malicious witness, aid Hamas, a, a, a witness, a violent witness, a witness who wants to do violence. Um, appears uh, against another as a malicious witness and gives incriminating yet false testimony. Okay, la notbo Sarah says something that's clearly not true. The two men to the dispute shall stand, and you, you, you see what I'm doing, right? It's like bolded. At this point, we thought, oh, well, it's two men again, you know? Now, uh, like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have noted two men is not a huge phrase, uh, notice, but, but now I'm starting to pick up on, oh, interesting, two men again, to the dispute shall stand before the eternal, before the priests or judges in authority at the time, and the judges shall make a thorough investigation. If the one who testified is a false witness, having testified falsely against a fellow Israelite, you shall do to the one as the one schemed to do to the other. Shall do to the one as the one schemed to do to the other. Kasher zamam lasot lachiv. Thus you will sweep out evil from your midst. Others will hear and be afraid, and such evil things will not again be done in your midst. Do not let your eyes show pity. And here we are again. Nefesh b'nefesh, ayin ba'ayin, shein b'shein, yad b'yad, regal b'regal. Okay. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Okay. Um, now, we've got our two men here, but it's a very different case. Okay, they're not fighting or they're not swinging fists, right? What what are what situation are they in? The lawsuit. Yeah, they are fighting actually. Yeah. They're in court fighting. Good. And um in comes a witness and uh lies and they catch the witness lying. And um what is the what's the punishment for the witness who's lying? Yeah. What you are testifying that would that the other person would have gotten a penalty a death penalty you're gonna get it because you're you're falsely talk about um a measure for measure right it's you didn't do it but you're part of the spirit of like the guy standing in the in the marketplace in 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 elisha's time you're part of it you did something that contributed or potentially contributed to a damage it hasn't even happened yet but you will now you will now be punished in the same way. Now, I want you to think about, is that an eye for an eye? Is that a life for a life? Like, is that, there's something different about that. Okay. And, uh, but it has a similar principle of kind of just as you, so shall you. And then finally, do not let your eyes show pity, life for life, 
eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Okay, so what's gonna happen? What is the what's this law here? What's gonna happen? What are two men are in court and they are fighting over, I don't know, a farm. Good, good, good. Okay, so the good. So Daisha? Daisha's doing exactly the right kind of thinking after we've surveyed these three cases, which is, you know, to try and look for common denominators here. What 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 have we arrived at? What are the sorts of circumstances that might evoke the principle of an eye for an eye, whatever. And, you know, we've now debated what that principle might mean, what's its utility, but there are certain variables, certain factors, and we could debate them, right? There's a debate here. Well, it seems like gender. You didn't think gender. How much is intentionality a part of it? We could debate the, the factors here, but it does seem like we're trying to gather a certain circumstance, certain set of cases to which the formula of an eye for an eye can be applied. But what I want to 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 do in the, just these last minutes is to talk about the way that this last case, though it seems to fit the formula, because here it's there's an eye for an eye again, it is a very different circumstance, right? It's like it is two men fighting. There's something similar about it, but they're fighting in court. They're fighting over some. Nobody's going to be cutting anyone's hand off. No one's going to kill the other one in court. They're trying to get each other's assets right what do you go to court for is you demand some sort of penalty in court you don't demand th that a person or maybe maybe i suppose you could have a person flogged right but there 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 is there's a different kind of conversation happening than, that the judges are going to oversee nevertheless in this case there's still the principle that if you do something that is that is that is unjust that you 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 attempt to take the life, the tooth, the the eye from somebody, then that same thing can can be done to you. So there's there's an equivalency there, but it isn't exactly the same case. And I guess I want to think about there then what we do with this law of an eye for an eye in a case like this. It's why are they mentioning an eye for an eye now when we don't see people actually fighting? There's no there's no eye that's about to come out. So what's this last case here? Entering into sort of like a civilized setting where People are working out their differences through the legal process. And yet someone is manipulating that. Someone is trying to get away from the legal procedure and to once again kind of savage someone by manipulating. I think that's a, that you're, you're exactly on the right track. And you're, you're giving us the measure for measure principle earlier helps. Because there is some notion that what is done should have some kind of response or reaction. But... This is a different circumstance. We saw in the last case, there was already insertion of an idea that maybe you could pay a life for a life, but that was just for an animal, it wasn't for humans. But here, the human beings are negotiating their grievances in court. The way that this will be worked out is through a decision, through a payment, through a set of terms and penalties. And yet we still are working with this principle of, as you say, an eye for an eye, but it's almost more less an eye for an eye and more like, just remember the the principle of every action having a reaction. Some kind of measure for measure still applies, and um, this this these two men are going to have their disputes settled financially. And so, what I want to suggest to you as we close is that as these three cases get placed 
again and again in sort of similar but changing circumstances throughout the Torah, that eventually they're pushing us slowly towards an understanding of an eye for an eye, which ultimately can be worked out without gouging someone's eye out, but actually could be worked out in the court system, actually could be worked out financially. And that actually the rabbis are always the best readers, not just of the law of the Torah, but even of the literature of the Torah. And my sense is that they also had a feeling, not just for the crazy idea, what even in the, in the Torah's own rhythm, these cases, cases start to be worked out through means other than physical um, physical direct revenge. And the last thing that I'll say, just to make, like, I'm making a claim, and so this is the the, the point that I will use to try to prove it, is just, just look at the language of the last life for life. It's slightly different. It isn't ein tachat ein. It's not nefesh tachat nefesh. In, in, in Hebrew, for those of you who know Hebrew, it's a little different. It's nefesh benefesh, ein ba'ayin, shein b'shein, Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I tried to make it um, clear in the English. It's not a life for a life, but life for life. Ein tachat ein literally means a, an eye in place of one other eye. Like you took out the eye and there you put another eye on top of it. That's literally what it means. But ein ba'ayin is an eye for an eye. And that little shift in language makes it a, makes it a less explicitly literal punishment and that the, the even though the case is the same again they're using the same language again Rabbis, excellent reading um um uh, that you all did tonight so thank you so much for for the learning thank you all so much for joining us tonight on zoom and in person and we hope you will join us at rabbi sharon browse for the minkoff lecture coming up in just a few weeks at um temple solel she's a great speaker if you've never heard her She's one of the best. Yeah. And she just came out with a book. She'll be talking about that. And we also hope you'll join us at Dara Horn um, next month at Ortzion for the Hammerman Family Lecture and many other opportunities between now and then. This guy brings you the best. I mean, the, we don't have speaker series like this in Los Angeles. Yes. This is like, this guy yes. brings you the best. Yes. Not me, it's actually these wonderful folks who do it. So right. thank you so much. Thanks, for everybody. Have a great night. Shabbat have shalom. A great night. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybeitmidrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.